0: You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. I'd like to begin the sermon today with a sad story. And this sad story comes from my middle school years. And now in fairness, I could give a sad story every week for the rest of our lives, about my middle school years, because in general, middle school is terrible. As someone who teaches middle school every day of the week, I know those poor little jokers live miserable lives right now. And I know that also from firsthand experience, because I dare say nearly every moment of middle school was miserable for me. Now, if you're if you're a regular, if you're a member here, then you've at some point heard me describe myself in middle school, there wasn't much there. It was mostly head, a lot of head, just big head, tiny body, just overwhelming weakness. Maybe by eighth grade, I weighed 90 pounds if all of my clothes were on. And listen, I wore very large clothes. This was like 1996. My jeans had a leg opening wider than the waist opening. And so this is what I looked like on a regular basis, but I know sometimes it can be hard to imagine. And so Alex, if you could pull up, I really want you to have a visual here of of what we're talking about. There we go. There's Chris. world-class haircut with, and you'll notice the color of hair there is not anything that occurs in nature because that's what happens when you take peroxide and spray it in your hair and then at least two inches grow out from the very sharp middle part that goes down the center there. So this is what we're working with in eighth grade. There's not much there. And again, from the neck down, it's about this wide. There's not a whole lot of strength that goes along with this person before you. And so the two worst words that I could hear in middle school especially inside of PE class were weight training (laughs) and so we went through the unit and I knew it was coming because everyone else was super hyped about weight training but I was not now leg days were fine because I kind of bounce when I walk and so I've always had kind of strong legs but we only did weight leg day for like what felt like five minutes and everything else was upper body of which I had none it was like negative somehow And so we would sit down at the lap bar, I would pull down 45 pounds, 45 pounds would pick me up off the bench, right? Speaking of bench, that's where things got really messy because I could not bench the bar, which was super sad and depressing. And so I'm just laying there with a 45 pound weight. That's all, just a toddler basically sitting on my chest and I didn't have the strength to push it up, which was bad enough until one day we come out of weight training and this significant group of girls walk up towards me. And this was alarming because no groups of girls usually walked up towards me. Now I know you may be thinking, are you sure, Chris? Are you sure that ladies weren't chasing you down all the time? And yes, believe it or not, it's true. But this group of girls walks up to me There were at least two to three tiers above me socially. And so I was already a touch off. And then what's happening here? Am I about to get beaten up by them? they sensed weakness? And so they walk up to me. And one of them just steps forward, I assume this is the leader, and she steps out of the group and she says, hey, I was like, hello. And she said, I just wanted you to know that Beth was watching you in there and you should do better. And now I assume that means that Beth had some sort of feelings towards me that were immediately erased by my performance in the weight room. To which initially, like, yeah, maybe that could have hurt my feelings, but really the thought was just like, well, <laughs> I mean, there's not much I can do. Not like I'm about to put on 35 pounds here in the next two days, so it's been real, Beth. And so I guess opportunity missed. But it's weird, because that's kind of how we view things, right? You can take that down now, Alex. That's enough. We've all seen enough there. <laughs> But so many things in this world are kind of skewed towards and built for the strong. And not just physically, but for people that are strong physically, people that are strong emotionally, people that are strong financially, there is a bias in our world that's kind of tilted towards the powerful. And so if you don't fit that mold in one way, shape, form, or fashion, it can be really easy to feel overlooked. It can be really easy to feel overwhelmed, to feel like all the Beths of the world are watching you and and casting judgment and looking past you because of it. And this can happen inside of the religious world as well. And even though it is dynamically in contrast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it can happen inside the church. If we're not careful, we can tilt and bias the structure of the church towards those who are powerful, to those who seem to have the most gifts, to those who have the most visible impact on what's going on, to those who are financially or spiritually strong, and we can start to tip the scale over. And when that happens, people who don't feel like they fit that mold begin to feel like they don't belong. And this was happening to the church in Philadelphia in the book of Revelation in chapter three. Philadelphia was a church that was not just persecuted because all the churches in this time were enduring some level of persecution but this was a church that because they were small because they seemed so powerful from the outside looking in that they were unwelcomed not only in the social structures of the world but even inside of the religious structure but then in comes Jesus and Jesus sees and recognizes their works And he opens a door for them into ministry and into life that no one else would be strong enough to shut. And so today we're going to look at the letter to the church at Philadelphia. And this one is just so comforting and encouraging because it reminds us That no matter how the world may see us, no matter how we may stand out to the rest of society or even inside the rest of the church, that Christ loves us with an undying love. And for those that belong to Jesus, one day he's going to step in with his power and his authority and elevate the humble and humble the proud. And so let's look at this passage here today in Revelation chapter three, starting in verse seven. And this is the word of God says, unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming to the whole world and to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, we do thank you as always for the word that you give us, and I thank you for just the encouragement that comes in this letter to the church at Philadelphia. God, you know, no matter who we are, no matter what we feel like we have or haven't accomplished, no matter what we feel like we do or do not have to offer, there have been times when all of us have felt weak, all of us have felt powerless, all of us have felt overlooked and outcast. But God, we are so thankful that you do not overlook your children. And so God, help us to find comfort in who you are. Help us to find our strength in yours. God, I pray that this is just a morning where, where the saints of God, where the believers of Jesus are just encouraged and strengthened to continue what you've called us to do, to hold fast to the gospel, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to take the gospel into the world. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus, our comfort and our strength. Amen. So, no matter who you are, chances are at some point in your life you felt weak or powerless. Doesn't matter how physically strong you may be, how mentally strong, how spiritually strong, financially, societally strong you may be, at some point in time, all of us have experienced some kind of feeling of weakness or powerlessness. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's one of the least enjoyable, most difficult to cope with kind of feelings. I like to be in control. I like to feel like I have everything put together. I like to feel like everything that I'm doing is well within how I want to do it and how I want it to go. I don't like the feeling of that power or that control being taken away. But for the church at Philadelphia, that's the life in which they're living. And so here you have a little church. And again, all of these churches that we're looking at were enduring some kind of persecution in the first century. All of them were dealing with outside forces coming against the church, trying to bring the church down, or trying to lead them into sin. But for the church at Philadelphia, not only are they being persecuted, but they're surrounded by reminders that they don't have any power. And so the city of Philadelphia, and again, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but the old Philadelphia, that city... At one point in time, because of their adoration for the Roman Empire, changed the name of the city temporarily to Neo Caesarea, to basically proclaim how amazing and awesome the emperor of Rome was. And so the people were reminded about this this force around them, about how powerful the Roman Empire was, how powerful the emperor was, and how weak they were. But that's one thing. But then on the other side, they felt very religiously inferior too. Because there was a pretty significant synagogue there inside of the city of Philadelphia. And early on in the life of the Christian church, there were Christians who were able to meet inside of the synagogues and learn about Christ and worship God together. But in this particular city, the people looked at these group of Christians in Philadelphia and they said, no, 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 you're not worthy to step into our building." You don't get to come into our synagogue. You don't get to worship God in this place. You've got to go somewhere else because you don't belong here. And so, this is a group of people that felt absolutely powerless and had constant reminders of the fact that they were that weak. And as we see here in this passage of scripture, Jesus knows their lack of power. And he comes to him and he says, I know that you're powerless. And, guys, you need to do better. You need to try harder. You're not making a big enough impact. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Come on, guys, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who you should be? You need to be better. Of course not. That's not what Jesus says to this group of Christians. This is what Jesus says to these believers in Philadelphia. He says, I know your works. I know who you are and know what you're doing. And he says, I've set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus says, I know your weakness. At least I know that you feel weak. I know that you feel powerless. I know that you feel like you don't belong, but I'm opening a door for you into my kingdom and no one can keep you out. No one can shut the door on you. Nobody's strong enough to take this away from you because I'm giving it to you. And even though you feel small and powerless, he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing. And those things may seem small and they may seem insignificant, but they are important enough to my kingdom that I know exactly what you're doing. And so here we have these Christians that are outcasts from society and from the religious world, but because they held fast to the name of Jesus, he loves them and he's stepping in on their behalf. And again, these introductions in the letters are so important as Jesus reveals to these churches who he is. And the church of Philadelphia in verse seven, he says, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. And over the next several weeks, we're going to start to see these incredible reminders about the power of Jesus. And he comes to this little church and he says, I know you feel powerless, but let me remind you who I am. I'm the holy one. No one can bring a charge against me because I am perfect and have been from eternity past till eternity future. He says, I am the true one. And people may say that they know God, but if they don't know me, they don't know God at all because I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm the one that's got the keys to the kingdom. And if I open a door for you, no one can shut it. And if I close a door, no one can open it because there is no one in this world or throughout history or throughout the entirety of the universe who has the power that I do. And we get reminded here that this church may feel small and weak in Philadelphia and each and every one of us in the same way may feel small and weak, but Jesus comes to remind us that he is not. And in verse nine, he says, I know what you're going through. He says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. He says, these people, that are persecuting, these people that are calling you less than, these people who say that you don't have a relationship with God because you follow me, I'm about to let them know. I'm about to let them know who you are. And I love the picture here because this isn't even Jesus at this point raising up the church. This is Jesus bringing his enemies low and reminding the church of his power and his authority. And I love that this is the story going on in the church of Philadelphia. Because if you've been to or read about Philadelphia here in America, you know that this, this word, the city's name, comes from two Greek words that basically roughly mean brotherly love. And I love that and the picture of Jesus in this. Because Tim Keller, when he talks about the story that we often call the prodigal son, as Jesus tells the story about a man who has two sons— He paints the picture of the rebellious younger brother who takes all of his inheritance and squanders it and wastes it and comes crawling back to his father. But he also tells us about the other brother, the older brother who was judgmental and legalistic and pious. And when his younger brother came back into the house was angry that his father showed him grace and mercy. And Keller points out that's not how older brothers are supposed to conduct themselves. And so he says, in the place of that older brother, Jesus becomes our perfect and true older brother, who when we that are rebellious and sinful and broken or judgmental and pious and arrogant come to God, when we come to the Father and he welcomes us in and loves us, Jesus doesn't act angry about that. He's not bitter or petty about that, but he rejoices and calls us in. In fact, he opened the door for us to come home to the Father. And so Jesus is our true older brother with that brotherly love and affection for us. And just like any good older brother, Jesus comes in and he steps in against the bullies and enemies and oppressors of his people. These Christians are facing intense persecution, feeling like they don't belong. And Jesus looks in, he says, not only am I gonna come in and humble these people that think that they're better or above you in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but also I'm gonna make sure, and I wanna read this exactly coming out of this passage of scripture here. He says, they will learn that I have loved you. He says, your identity is in me because I love you. And they don't think that you're good enough to grace the doors of this house of worship, but I reached beyond the walls of the synagogue and I brought you in through my own life, through my love and affection for you. And one day, no matter how people view you here and now, one day it is gonna be undeniable that you are loved by me. And that's good news, not just to the church of Philadelphia, but to anybody who trusts in Jesus for salvation because it's easy to feel small and powerless and insignificant in our lives. It's really easy, especially as a small church, to feel as a church that we're small and powerless and insignificant, sometimes even in the way that we understand how God may see us. We say, surely, God doesn't care as much about us as he does maybe the larger churches or the Christians that have more noticeable skills and abilities and power and authority and moving and shaking in society. Surely God can't possibly care about us. But then Jesus, our perfect older brother, comes in and he says, one day I'm gonna make sure that everybody knows, you included, that I love you. And one day he's gonna step in and elevate the lowly and humble the proud. He's gonna reveal his strength and put his love for his people on display in such a way that no one can deny. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Christ now, we can claim that truth there. That when Jesus looks at us, no matter how weak or fragile or frail we may feel, he looks at us with love and affection and is with us and for us in all things. And so that's the setting we have for the church at Philadelphia. And Jesus gives them this beautiful comfort of love and power that he's going to do in and through their lives. But then he goes on and he tells them about what's coming next. And I've told you before each and every week that the most important thing that we can do as we read the book of Revelation is spend time in the Old Testament. Because John is constantly making these allusions and these throwbacks and these references, sometimes directly and sometimes we can just see the connections in these passages to the Old Testament. As I'm reading through these letters, two of the letters in this book kind of throw my mind back to two different stories in the Old Testament. And those are the stories of Noah and Job. Because there's a lot of similarities between Noah and Job. When we're introduced to both of these men, they're introduced as people who are exceedingly righteous. That Noah was the most righteous dude around, that he lived the way that God had called him to live. And then the very first thing we see in the book of Job, God puts him on display in front of the whole council of heaven saying, have you all seen my boy Job? He is righteous above all people. And so the introductions are very similar, but their stories are very different. Because Noah, because of his righteousness, is called out of difficulty. God sends the flood into the world. And because of Noah's righteousness, not only does God save him from that, but he saves his entire family as well. But for Job, that story goes much differently. Because God looks at Job and says, hey, have you seen my boy Job? Look how amazing and righteous he is. And then Satan off in the corner somewhere goes, it's because he's got a good life, man. It's because everything goes fine for Job. If you took all that away, then he would lose that righteousness and he would lose his love for you. And God says, okay, take it. Take it all. Run him through whatever you want. Take him through the ringer and see if he's not going to prove himself to be righteous. And so Noah's righteousness found him deliverance and Job's found him tribulation. And in the same way, when we look at the church of Philadelphia, And when we look at the church of Smyrna, we see two churches that do everything right. These are the two churches that don't have a, but I have this against you kind of section. Both of them are living life the way that they're supposed to live. And not only that, both of them have already endured incredible tribulation. And for the church at Smyrna, Jesus comes to them. He says, hey, I know you've endured so much. I know you've gone through these hardships, but you need to hold fast because you're about to go through a little more. You're about to deal with more tribulation and trial. But to the church at Philadelphia, Jesus says this. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, the same patient endurance that Smyrna lived out in their lives, He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So what's the difference? Why does Noah get deliverance and why does Job have to go through suffering? Why does Smyrna find themselves enduring more and why does Philadelphia here get relief from that temptation and that trial? I don't know. But it's clear that By the nature of God, sometimes he spares his people from trial and sometimes he sends them through it. And for Philadelphia, their patient endurance receives a shelter from an upcoming season of trial that he says is coming into the whole world. Now, taking off our left behind goggles here, this isn't a promise of some sort of snatching away of the whole church and something else happening here, but this is a reminder of God's faithfulness. This is a promise for the church at Philadelphia that because of what they've endured, because of what they've gone through, when this next season of trial comes into the world around them, they're going to be spared from it, even while their sister church in Smyrna is going to be going through it. And this is a reminder of God's faithfulness and his attention to the needs of the church. And that's manifested in different ways all the time. Sometimes he says endure more, and sometimes he says rest a while, but either way, he is good and faithful through all of that. And as he promised the church at Smyrna, I'm gonna be with you through your endurance, and he promises the church in Philadelphia that he's gonna be with them in their rest. And so we need to learn to not necessarily desire one or the other. We don't need to desire to be Noah any more than we need to desire to be Job. We don't need to desire Philadelphia any more than we desire Smyrna because it's just as easy to desire that God gives us an easy, happy life as it is to sometimes say, you know what, God, I don't feel like I'm suffering enough and develop a martyr complex saying, run me through the ringer because I don't believe that I'm really being faithful unless it hurts. And so we need to learn to not necessarily desire one side or the other, but be the kind of Christians who instead put our trust in God either way. The same kind of faith that Paul says saying, you know what, God, if you send me through suffering and trial, I'll endure that well. And if you give me a season of rest, help me to use that well to prepare me for the next season of my life. Whatever my lot, wherever you send me, whatever you call me through, good times, bad, triumph or tragedy, sickness, health and everything in between. Whatever you give me, I am going to be faithful with it. I'm going to love you through it and I'm going to trust you until the day when neither of those things is necessary. And Jesus comes again to make everything right and everything new, and He calls us into His rest once and for all. And so, Philadelphia gets a break here. They get some rest, they get protection from the coming tribulation and storm. And Jesus seals all of this with a promise. Verse 11, He says, I am coming soon. Now, Admittedly, soon is a difficult and sometimes frustrating word in the book of Revelation. Because a lot of times, again, we look at all of these things as future events, but clearly there are some things that are happening in the time and space that this book is being written. And in fact, even in the very beginning, in chapter one, John says, I'm writing to you about these things that must soon take place. But then at the end of the book, he beckons Jesus saying, even so come quickly, Lord, even so come soon, Lord. And it's been a hot minute since this book has been written. And so soon is kind of a relative word in the book of Revelation. And so he could be saying, I'm coming soon to bring my judgment on the enemies of the church of Philadelphia. I'm coming soon to bring this rest to Philadelphia. Or he could be saying in the grand eternal picture, I'm coming soon and I'm going to put all of these broken things back together once and for all and bring my judgment and my deliverance into the world. But either way, this is a message of hope. Because Jesus says, at one point in time, you're gonna be able to put down your endurance. You're gonna be able to put down the suffering and the tragedy and all these things, and you're gonna be able to take on the crown of life. And Jesus says, I've given you everything you need. And so his commandment to this church is to hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And again, it's not be more powerful. It's not do something and live in a way that you're not. He says, take everything I've given you and hold fast to that because there are people trying to steal your crown. There are people trying to steal your joy. There are people trying to steal your faithful endurance. There are people coming at you from all sides, telling you you're not good enough, telling you that you don't belong, telling you that this life for Christ doesn't matter. And so hold fast so they don't steal that away from you because I'm coming soon and you just need to endure a little longer. Their identity is in Jesus and their calling is to cling to that. And if they do, he says this in verse 12, the one who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And I love these promises and I love how these letters are structured because we see a direct connection with the promise to the things that the churches are going through. But I think this may be just the most clear, beautiful reconciliation of what Philadelphia is going through versus what they're going to receive. Because Jesus says, you know what? Yeah, there's some people around you right now that tell you that you're not good enough to come to God. There's some people around you right now saying you're not fit to walk in to a religious building or a religious institution. They're saying that you aren't good enough for the synagogue. And so Jesus looks at him, and says, you know what? Maybe you're not good enough for the synagogue, but I am going to make you the foundation of my temple. He says, I'm going to open this door for you and no one is going to be able to push you out. No one is going to be able to take you away. He says, I'm gonna build my temple on you, on this tiny little group of Christians and your faithful endurance and nobody is gonna be able to cast you out. Nobody is gonna say that you don't belong because you know why? I'm gonna write my name on you. I'm gonna claim you as my own. You are gonna bear the name of my God and you are gonna live in the city of my God forever and I'm gonna write my own name on you and nobody can take that away from you. No one again will ever be able to doubt their identity in Christ and their place in his kingdom, or their identity as a church loved by God, not just in this moment, but for all of eternity. And I know even in a room this size, that some of you, and maybe even the majority of you, maybe even the majority of us, because I'm going to include myself here, have felt powerless, overlooked, and ostracized. Maybe even inside the church maybe especially in the church. Maybe you've even had someone look you in the face and say, you don't belong here. And that's made you feel lost. It's made you feel worthless. And it's made you feel alive. But if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, then he has opened a door for you that nobody can shut. And it doesn't matter what the face at the front door of a church says to you. It doesn't matter what any religious leaders in your life have said to you. If you belong to Christ, then he has written his name on you and claimed you as his own, and it cost him everything to do so. And so if you belong to Jesus, then you can know with absolute assurance that you are a, p- a pillar of the temple of God that you belong to the kingdom, that he has branded you with his name and he knows your works and he has called you his own. Jesus is the holy one, the true one, the one with the keys of the kingdom. And if he has welcomed you in, no one can shut you out. And if you're here and you've never followed after Jesus, if you've never been saved by God's grace, if you've never been through baptism, then here's the good news of this whole thing. It's not based on what you do because none of us are worthy to come into the presence of God. Scripture is very clear about that, that because of our sinfulness, we can't just stroll up on God and say, hey, I want to come into your kingdom, but God so loved the world that he came to us to meet us where we were and that Jesus accomplished the hard work for us, that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, opened a door and calls us just to walk through, not by our own works, not by our own efforts, but by grace alone. That's a gift that he gives to us. And so you may be here saying, you know what? I don't belong here. I'm not good enough. You're right. None of us are. But Jesus is. And if we follow after Christ, Jesus says that if we trust in him, if we believe in him, then we become a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. And that we weren't worthy at one point in our lives, but because of Jesus, we are made worthy. And it doesn't matter who you have been. It doesn't matter who people think you are. Once Christ puts his name on you, no one will ever take that away. And so in just a moment, we're going to get to watch as Deanna goes through the waters of baptism. And we're going to see this picture of the power of the gospel. She goes into the water and comes back out, laid to death in Christ and raised again to new life. And it is a reminder that nobody can put you back in the water. Nobody can take you back through that process. It is a starting point that sends us on a walk with Christ that sometimes is good and sometimes is difficult, that sometimes leads us to a life that feels comfortable and restful and sometimes leads us to a life where we think, did I really want to do this at all because I'm hurting so bad and I'm enduring so much? But through all of that, we have the promise that no matter what comes, we belong to Christ once and for all. No one can take that away. And one day Jesus will give it to us in full. And so if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, if you've never been baptized, then what better day today to talk about what that means. And so come find me or one of our elders and talk to us about what it means to trust in Christ. If you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, then this same message to Philadelphia is true for each and every one of us. We need to hold tight and not let anybody snatch our crown. We need to hold tight and make sure that our identity always rests in Christ and in Christ alone. That we persevere with faithful endurance through all seasons because we know that Jesus is good enough and Jesus is strong enough. And even when people look us in the face and because of who we were or who we have been or things that we've done, try to tell us that we aren't good enough for Christ, we say, no, but Jesus is good enough for me. And he's called me his own and hold fast to that truth in each and every season of your life, and be reminded that you have been made worthy through Christ, not simply for the kingdom, not simply for heaven, not simply for eternity, but for the works that he's called us to do here and now. And no matter how small you may feel individually, no matter how small we may feel as a church, no matter how small we feel as Christians in a big, big world, The things that we do for the kingdom of God, the works that we put forward in the world, going out, loving our neighbors as ourselves, spreading the gospel and making disciples and meeting people where they are with the good news of Jesus, no matter how insignificant we may feel about it, we know that Jesus knows our works and that he takes these small things, these small acts of faithfulness, and he magnifies them with his power and gives them eternal significance. And so let's hold fast and keep going with patient endurance because we belong to Jesus Father God it's just so overwhelming to think about who you are and what you do for us God forgive us for the times when we allow our own insecurities to make us feel insignificant when you have called us worthy that our own weaknesses make us doubt your power God, help us to remember that if we are in Christ, we have been made new from the inside out. And the only opinion of us that matters is the one that you have and the one that you speak to the Father on our behalf when you claim us as your own. God, help us to be the kind of church that not only is faithful in our works, but faithful in our love. Not casting out, but bringing in people who need the grace and mercy of Jesus each and every day. And God, as we've prayed most every week, as we've looked through these letters, God, make us fit for our work here on the earth and make us fit for eternity. And help us to hold fast with patient endurance no matter what season we find ourselves, no matter we find ourselves feeling like Noah or we find ourselves feeling like Job, whether we are a church feeling like Philadelphia going through rest or Smyrna going through trial, God, help us to be steadfast in our faithfulness, in our love, and our passion for the gospel. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus.